Welcome to the People Planet Profit Podcast. I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School, and today I'm joined by Michael Tomlinson. Michael is the Managing Director of Points Build. Points Build is a Knowledge Fellow of the Supply Chain Sustainability School and specialises in online CPD courses for Australian architects, designers, engineers, builders, trades, certifiers, and surveyors. Michael founded Points Build in 2007 is and is responsible for Points Build's leadership, company strategy, the execution of plans, and key partnerships. His strategy is simple. He wants Points Build to be the best at what they do. Michael has worked in various technology companies in Australia and internationally for the 15 years prior to Points Build. He has experience in business management and revenue growth, team leadership and management, account and relationship management in established businesses and startups in the public sector, education, construction and information technology industries. Welcome, Michael. Hi, Ali. Thank you. And thank you for the introduction. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's always good to remind you of what you've done, especially when you're constantly focusing on what you're about to do. It's nice to have a bit of a summary of everything that you've accomplished so far in the world. Um, and I think Appreciate that... The- <laughs> and I think that one of the things that you and I have in common is our passion for adult education. Um, and it's one of the reasons um, uh, why I wanted to have a chat with you on the podcast today. Um, and I suppose a few people listening is, are probably keen to know about that as well. I mean, you know, at the start of every year, most people focus on kids going back to school and um, kids going um, on to learning new things. And it's probably a really good refresher for a lot of adults that we need to continually develop um, our education um, as we go through as well. And, and whether we like it or not, our education didn't stop when we finished school um, and the best adults keep on learning. So what do you see um, is on the, the horizon for adult education in 2022? It's a really interesting time to be involved in, you know, the online or the education space and adult education in particular um, this year off the back of, you know, two pretty crazy years to do, you know, uh, mm. heavily influenced by COVID. Um, uh, it's in, you know, affected just about every aspect of you know, uh, our working and um, personal and professional lives. Mm. Um, when we launched, when I launched Points Bill, you know, late 2007, online education was very much a, a relative unknown, if you like, um, uh, and... Generally, up until fairly recently, considered, I think, the poor cousin to classroom-based education from an adult perspective. Um, The rise of adoption of technology, technology being more of a mainstream thing and a fundamental right or necessity has led to the acceptance of online education. That's been accelerated a lot in the last two years, um, heavily influenced by COVID. that online education for today's built environment, be the uh, professionals, be they from a trades, uh, construction or a profession background, um, is almost a, a sort of a, a de facto given. Yeah. Twin with that has been um, individual learners' expectations of online learning have risen as well. Gone are the days when it's just a video recording of a seminar that someone can watch at a later date. People now wanting, um, yeah, online self-paced training of yeah. a highly, yeah, that's relevant to them and their specific interests. So not just generalist information, but quite targeted, and also uh, to a higher degree of production than has previously been offered 
in the past. Yeah, and I think that you're spot on there as well. I mean, um, I mean, we've certainly faced it. I mean, you and I both run online platforms for education and um, COVID has just seen it escalate to a whole new level of demand. And I think that a lot of people that lived in cities and it was very convenient for them to attend sort of face-to-face events. I think one thing that's really popped out for me is just the regional access Mm. um, and the really the levelling of the playing field of the options available to people in regional settings um, and even not so regional. You know, like I live in the middle of the city and sometimes it takes me an hour to get into the city. So um, that transit um, and, you know, takes a whole day to attend an hour event type scenario has just disappeared now that we have online learning and you're right it's kind of in a tradey sense it's magic right if you've got a down Very day much. because of rain or delays on site you can quite literally stand there um, on your device and sort of quickly knock out a bit of work and then just sort of pause it and keep going when when the projects come back on board and it's it's not seen as something that's taking like a whole day out of your time it's just integrated into your business as usual um, so I think that that, that whole uh, that sector and that change has really made it far more accessible for people um, to continually learn and, and sort of stay up to date with the things that you're already great at, um, but also to open your mind to things that you may not have known um, and really sort of expanding your thinking. And so to that end, I suppose... Um, my next question for you is then sort of um, we operate in a little bit of different spheres in that I teach people about sustainability to all trades and you teach people about all sorts of things um, and include sustainability. Hmm. So what does what do non-sustainability professionals want to know about sustainability? It's a really good question and it's actually not easy to answer, but I'll have a go. Um, yep. Non-sustainability, I think in the last decade there's been the rise of sustainability professionals as almost a recognised job title, job description uh, and career. And they they would typically, a sustainability professional would typically exist in a medium to large entity or enterprise or organisation, be it in the public sector, be it in the uh, sort of a, a mid to low upper tier construction organisation, small yeah non sustainability professionals might be somewhat sceptical of sustainability professionals. Non sustainability professionals tend to view have historically viewed sustainability as a euphemism for red tape or a or or a, mm. a catch all when people talk about environmental or green credentials or green sustainability or energy efficiency. Yeah. There's a, a lot more to the, the name and the industry concerning sustainability, uh, and especially with respect to yourselves, because yours is about supply chain sustainability. Um, uh, it's not always about, uh, quote, unquote, you know, energy efficiency and green sustainability. They are very important, absolutely. Um, non-sustainability professionals... Not don't necessarily underst- maybe understand the drivers behind sustainability. You know, there's you know, it's, uh, financial and economic sustainability. You know, yeah. um, there is an increasingly in uh, an Australian economic landscape, the idea of services or skills sustainability. The skills we've had you know, across the last 15 to 45 years may not be the skills needed for ourselves, you know, for you know, myself in the future or other building and trade professionals. Yeah. Like a lot of the 
education about sustainability is driven by regulation and a lot of those regulations are influenced or designed for protection. So things like Security of Payments Act, the Modern Slavery Act, um, the forthcoming updates to the National Construction Code, uh, colloquially known as NCC 2022, have vast changes and improvements in energy efficiency provisions that will have a direct impact on sustainability as well. Yeah. Um, the larger organisations have tended to be early, uh, much earlier adopters of some of these trends, but historically smaller to medium enterprises have often borne the burden with respect to adherence to supply chain sustainability. This doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be the case. Yeah. Moving forward, I would like to see you know, small to medium enterprises in the wider built environment be able to drive and lead some of the changes, not just feel that they have them imposed on them. Does that answer the question? <laughs> yes, certainly. It was certainly a loaded question. So <laughs> you've done well in answering it because I, I completely agree with you that a lot of, you know, I think anyone who's ever been asked to fill out a um, a questionnaire from someone they're trying to supply to and just feel like that's a full-time job in itself is filling out all of those compliance questionnaires in the supply chain. Um, and a lot of them tend to be on sustainability-related issues, right? Like, um, you know, recently mm. we've had a lot of modern slavery questionnaires going out to people. Um, and I think that that kind of, you're right, I think that it kind of feels like um, their first in a lot of small businesses first interaction with sustainability is from a burden perspective and so that it's hard to understand that this is just it's a framework for thinking about working smart you know and and yes it's all encompassing and yes um, you know I think a lot of people think that it's all environmental and they don't appreciate that there is economic and social sustainability involved in that um, and it's certainly a lot of the small businesses that I talk to um, and do training with there is sort of a bit of a, a light bulb moment about five minutes into the training where they realize hey we're doing half of this we just don't call it that you know, it's just more of a language barrier than most things. You know, a lot of those family businesses go, yeah, of course we have equal opportunity. Like, you know, there's usually mum, dad and the kids are all involved and they hire a lot of young workers and they try to include things and they're all about trying to keep their business going. So um, I think you're spot on in terms of, of, of that landscape. And sustainability and in, the, in a very similar context, you know, professional development styled education or CP, continuing professional development styled education have been policy levers by various levels of government for a number of years. And there's been some change and improvement to the industry as a result. But the true drivers and changes will come when the wider consumer landscape cottons on and drives some of these changes. I'll give you two quick examples. Um, Historically, providing professional development to the built environment has been a, you know, under directive, so a legislative mandate or a mandate by a membership body or industry association that you have to do an amount of training in order to maintain your accreditation, registration or licence. There is a market trend now where consumers and buyers of um, construction industry services and solutions are asking to, and wanting to know, is that practitioner up to date? Not did they study something 
25, 40 years ago, but are they up to date yeah. in current standards? And the same thing holds true for sustainability and supply chain sustainability. Consumers and purchasers of you know, supply chain services, you know, construction industry solutions, it might be a residential house or something as large as uh, Barangaroo, um, are wanting to know, are the construction industry professionals doing this service or building this in construction, are they up to date? And in the same way, are they practising sustainable supply chain uh, principles and is, that, is there evidence of that throughout the community? Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, education seems to be a, um, or like qualifications, I should probably say, not education. It's kind of, um, you know, you finish school, you go to uni, you finish that, and it's almost like a box ticked. Um, and I always view it as if, um, you know, if you want to be an accountant, you study accounting, right? Round peg, round hole, everything fits together. But the problem being is that hole evolves over time and it erodes a little bit and that, you know, that round hole that you initially filled the box, you know, filled in the, all the gaps with is now square. So you need to turn yourself into being a square in order to fit that mould. Um, and I think that that's kind of one thing that people do over time is that, the, you know, you might have fit at one point in time, you had a square peg and a square hole, round, you know, round peg, round hole, everyone's happy. But everything changes and evolves and you need to keep up with that. And we're seeing the rise of that both in sustainability and in adult education, which is yeah. uh, it's just starting now and it really will come to the bear in the next 12 to 36 months. Um, uh, uh, acceptance of micro-credentials, acceptance of skills-based recognition. So not necessarily do you have a degree in something, but do you have evidence of the right skills and micro-credentials to support yeah. you in the next five years because things will change in the following five years. If you Spot like. on. And I think as well there's sort of that recognition that um, I don't even know what the, the, the numbers are these days, but is it we're going to have seven careers in our lifetime or that, you know, yes, we sit yes. there and we'll, <laughs> we'll change our jobs many times. So the, the, the old thinking of, you know, I complete a five-year degree and then I'm going to spend 50 years in that one job is just gone out the window and especially, um, you know, the millennials um, and Generation Alpha are going to be looking to switch up and change things sort of every three to five years. I know these days if you're looking at someone's resume and they're sort of stayed in a job longer than three years, you're thinking, wow, that's, that's like right. commitment, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it's just it's unusual that that ever happens. Um, but I do think that continuing professional development and those micro-credentials are a great way to not so much, you know, completely transition your career into a whole new area but evolve into something different. Um, so whether that's tackling sustainability and evolving in that way um, or whether it's sort of slowly moving around in different areas. And it's true. And with the rise of and in the, the wider construction environment, this has been a, it's been a bit of a laggard, but the rise of effectively um, sole operators that effectively go from gig to gig. It might be consulting mm -hmm. to a large organisation one six-month period and then a, a competitor of theirs, another. or And so there's much more fluidity and accepted fluidity in the, the middle ranges of the construction industry's workforce, if you like. The, one of the drivers for that, or byproducts of that, sorry, is the need to stay up to date. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the other trends that I'm starting to see as well is this 
you know, you might have been working at your job for five years and as part of your job, you're thinking, gee, there's a way we could do this better. And so we get, you know, Aussies are really renowned for being innovative and blue sky thinkers in that space. And, and you know, I see a lot of people that sort of go, gee, I wish I've got an idea that we can make this better. And then they'll kick off their own small business and then that mm. flourishes. And there's certainly, I know in the sustainability realm and in other areas, there's these great little niche small businesses that might have started in the garage somewhere, um, you know, that you kind of go, I just... I've, I've had this experience, I've found this solution, I'm going to try and turn that into a small business. And then a yep. lot of people get sort of, um, you know, working around there. So all of a sudden you're not selling your time for money, you're actually selling your ideas for money and um, yeah. and then and, growing those sort of businesses. And that's how Points Build started, yeah. It was a, a, a an opportunistic punt 13, 14 years ago. Um, it was started in a spare bedroom Um and stayed there for you know, the first few years of its life. Um, fast forward to today, we've got a team of 14, 15 maybe. Um, we're based in country New South Wales, so greetings from Young, um, about four and a half hours west of Sydney. Um, and being an online business, uh, an online-based business, there is an acceptance now that of two things. First of all, as long as you provide a good service, you can be based anywhere. People don't necessarily discriminate. And long gone now is the perception that you had to be based out of Sydney, Melbourne or Canberra to, to provide yeah, a nationally applicable service. You know, we deliver courses, online courses, to every state and territory in about 20 countries, 20, 22 countries now around the world. Um, and we can enjoy that from, you know, the successes of that from country New South Wales. It's pretty awesome, though, that you can operate a business from regional New South Wales because, like you said, I mean, there's got to be a lot of benefits in doing that. I mean, I'm thinking even just startup costs, rental costs that, that yep. um, you know, I don't, the, the commute to and from the office, the sense of community, the lower living expenses, like my, <laughs> all the things I'm jealous of that you have that I don't have, but I'm sure you've got a few more. <laughs> it, look, it, it's been terrific and I, I love it um, and I'm, you know, uh, uh, from Sydney, uh, was raised there, grew up there, lived in country New South Wales for yeah, the last 12, 13 years or so. Um, uh, some of the challenges as a growing company in regional New South Wales are still the same. Uh, were points to be headquartered in you know, Sydney CBD or Melbourne and so forth. Finding, attracting and retraining good skills, good people, Number one, um, access to markets. Number two, um, yeah, they still hold true. Um, uh, five, ten years ago, I'd have said internet connectivity um, is, you know, regional New South Wales is a, you know, a laggard in that. But either we've, you know, country New South Wales has improved or or central Sydney has degraded. It may be a bit of both in that. <laughs> Um, um, but, yeah, it is very much now as long as you provide a good service. Larger organisations um, don't seem to be bothered by it. Larger um, public uh, entities, local councils, state government, federal government departments and so forth uh, aren't worried about it. In fact, they have mandates to um, for, for a proportion of their spend and expenditure to be from 
not just small and medium enterprises, but regional, rural and remote, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And I think that as well, I think it's nice to be able to, like you talk about retaining and attracting talent. I know that um, my husband grew up in regional New South Wales um, and those towns definitely out there as, as the kids grow up and move in there, it's nice to have some career options that you don't need to move away from the country town to enjoy um, and sort of uh, really maintaining a loyalty base, I suppose, in those regional settings. People are really appreciative of businesses that do head out there and stay out there and mm. are looking to try and contribute to those local economies. And I think that some people kind of forget that part of being sustainable is maintaining those local communities as well. Mm. Um, so I think it's really great that you've been able to sort of get out there and establish that and, you know, have 15 happy faces that show up to work every day <laughs> um, and the impacts on all of their families and everything in the regional area. And not only that, but I mean, it just shows you just something else you can do, like just, you know, um, you know, um, as getting out there. Um, so I, I applaud you and, you know, I'm sure you've got great access to cherries and things like that when they come into <laughs> yes, season. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful, beautiful part of the world. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much, um, Michael, for joining me on um, the podcast today. It's been wonderful chatting with you about a few different areas and I'm sure we'll have you back. Oh, well, terrific. And thank you, Hayley, for the opportunity and for your time. And we look forward to working with the Supply Chain Sustainability School for many years into the future. Thanks for listening to the People, Planet, Profit podcast. Until our next episode, bye. Bye.